Some alarming numbers, once again, coming from long-term care. This time it's in Barrie, where over 100 residents are sick due to a significant outbreak at Roberta Place. And increasing concern is the fact that a COVID variant is thought to be responsible for at least six of the COVID cases at Roberta Place. Now, this news comes as the group Voices of LTC are set to hold a social media protest later this afternoon demanding change in long-term care. Maureen McDermott is with Voices of LTC and joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Maureen, good afternoon, and thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. All right, first off, this uh, social media protest, this virtual town hall you've got scheduled in about an hour from now. Uh, what is the overarching uh, message? Well, this uh, if you've been following uh, what we've been doing, we were doing in-person protests at uh, Tender Care, Copernicus, and also uh, St. George's a few Sundays ago where we had two federal party leaders uh, join in our solidarity as well. So we had committed... Because there are so many outbreaks, we had committed to highlighting two homes a week and and going to them. Since the Stay at Home Act uh, came into place, we're um, playing it safe and we're certainly not encouraging families to come out. Uh, So we had to move it to an online protest. So that's what's happening today. Simultaneously at 3.30, there's going to be a huge blast on Twitter. Follow uh, Voices of Long-Term Care. Families uh, and the general public are putting out videos telling their stories today. Yeah, tell us a bit about that, sorry to interrupt, Maureen, but tell us a bit about that because I do understand, yes, you've got several family members set to speak this afternoon. Uh, What is their story and what are they going to tell us? Uh, This afternoon at 2.30 prior to the protest, we are hosting a town hall with uh, MPPs Wayne Gates, Jenny Stevens and Jeff Birch from the around the Niagara Hamilton area uh, and St. Catharines, and we were going to go to um, Shalom Village and extend a care, and we couldn't do that. So we have two families, um, one from uh, Shalom that has quite the story, where unfortunately her mother has passed away from COVID, and extend a care is uh, Susan, whose sister has. Um, some very serious mental health issues. She's not a senior, but has been placed in long-term care. She's gone almost five weeks without a shower right now. So it's it's pretty gruesome, but it's our reality, and it's about time everybody knew it, and hopefully the government will listen and actually do something. And is it your hope, these family members coming forward and telling these uh, personal stories? I mean, my heart just breaks hearing that somebody's not showered in five weeks and is not being properly uh, cared for that when you hear this, these first-person accounts, that's what really resonates uh, with the public? Well, I would hope so. Um, You know, everybody's reacting to it. Everybody's infuriated about it. And uh, the the worst part of it is is the government absolutely doing nothing to help us. I mean, sending in Red Cross is an absolute Band-Aid. They don't even have to have qualifications. You know, hopefully they can sit there and hold a few hands while they allow PSWs to do something. But, I mean, there's so many urgent things that need to happen right now. Unfortunately, the total today is 3,256 seniors so far that have died from COVID in long-term care today. That number will increase by tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Why is it that uh, seemingly nothing and or very little at the best uh, has been done? Nobody wanted to see a repeat of uh, what happened during the first wave of uh, COVID. I think we've heard from uh, many people, many advocates such as yourself, that uh, not only have we seen a repeat, things are 
actually worse the second time around. And why, why are we here? Well, unfortunately, uh, we're here because, the, first of all, the government needs to get back to work. Legislating, taking out legislation till mid-February during a pandemic is just asinine. I mean, there's so many urgent things that need to happen. There's two bills on the table which can help. You know, Susan can go in and shower her sister. If they would pass Bill 203, which is more than a visitor, which would ensure families to get in. We have families, the, the things you're going to see today are shocking. Families saying goodbye through Windows, through Skype. It doesn't have to be that way. You know, there's the other bill as well, the time to care, which would give minimum time. Put a staffing modeling in there, similar to what they did in Quebec. Spend the money, hire the people. In Quebec, they hired them for $21 an hour just to train. Once they're full-time, they're $26 an hour. They had great success because they were moving and they prepared. This second wave, you have no idea the toll that it's taking on us. We lived our biggest absolute and unimaginable nightmare during the first wave, and here we are doing it in the second wave. And all of us are volunteers for Voices of Long-Term Care that are currently going through issues of senicide ourselves, whether they've just lost loved ones. My mom, myself, she's now got aspirated pneumonia. She's not doing well. Like, we're all dealing with things as well as trying to hold this government accountable and coming together in a solidarity in Ontario to say enough's enough. Yeah, are you? Do you feel as if you're being heard by the government uh, at all? I mean, you're raising. Uh, I mean, we're just sitting here talking about this uh, on the air, and I'm sure there are people uh, listening to this uh, with their mouths agape. Just can't believe some of the things that are going on. These firsthand accounts. Is that resonating? Do you think with uh, the government, with policymakers, people that can really make change? Um, obviously not, or we wouldn't be here today. And, uh, you know, Marilee Fullerton, no idea where she's been the last three weeks. She suddenly showed up the other day. And uh, we've been get, sending her invitations, emails, begging her for conversations. And the only thing she could do was say how disgusted she was with the NDP for, you know, misinformation and long-term care. That she may as well lined up every single family in Ontario and directly slapped us across the face because that's what it was, skirting issues. We're screaming it. The entire province knows what the problem is. But the color seems to be a very different sky in their world because they don't see it as an issue and they see it as stable. I want to ask you as well, Maureen, while I have you here, you mentioned the Red Cross and that's nothing more or just a bit of a uh, Band-Aid. Uh, would you like to see what we saw in the first wave, uh, the military deployed to come in to help uh, at some of these long-term care centers that are in outbreak? Yeah, 100%. They need to come in immediately, like last week. You know, we could have kept this under 3,000, but as I said, the number today is 3,256. Um, the military are trained. They can come in. But what did they do the last time when they left? They gave a scathing report of what they saw, and they were absolutely disgusted. And, again, that hasn't been taken seriously by this government, and I don't think the government wants uh, the lid opened up again in another report that they would get from the military. Just finally, if uh, people want to tune in, they want to get involved, where do they need to go later this afternoon? Uh, at uh, 2.30 this afternoon, we're going live on our Facebook page, which is Voices of LTC. 
you can view it on there. And at 3.30, uh, we are re everyone's recording one-minute videos, so you still have lots of time for that. And you can upload them onto, uh, follow us on Twitter as well, Voices of Long-Term Care, using the hashtag StopTheCenocide, More Than a Visitor, and Voices of Long-Term Care. And we're going to send them all out simultaneously in, in the hopes that something will happen. And if it doesn't, that's okay, because we're going to continue doing what we're doing in this model for as long as we need to do it. And once we're allowed, we'll go back out onto the street. All right, Maureen, I appreciate your time with us this afternoon. I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Wishing her the very best and you as well. And thanks Thank again. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you for your time. All right, Maureen McDermott is with Voices of LTC. And today is day two on the job for President Joe Biden. Day one yesterday, certainly eventful. Lots of pomp and circumstance. Don't know if you watched the big special last night. Everybody from uh, Bruce Springsteen to Katy Perry uh, featured. And also as well, aside from the pomp and the circumstance, several executive orders, including one that directly impacts us here in Canada, the cancellation of the Keystone XL pipeline. Joe Oliver is the former Minister of Natural Resources and Minister of Finance under the Harper government. And he joins us now for more on this here on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Joe, good afternoon. Thanks for coming on. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, great to be chatting with you. All right. It was an $8 billion project. That's a billion with a B. Uh, what sort of impact, first off, uh, does this move from President Biden, what does it have on the Canadian economy as a whole, and I guess Alberta in particular? Well, it's, it's actually a devastating uh, body blow to... Uh, to Alberta and uh, Saskatchewan, uh, it's going to uh, kill jobs. It's it's going to uh, affect uh, the uh, economic growth of the two provinces. But of course, with supply chains, it will impact on the entire country. I mean, we have uh, vast uh, natural resources, uh, energy resources that are equal to in, in proven reserves, the third and, and fourth uh, largest in the entire world. And it, this is a, uh, a blow, which, of course, is compounded uh, by the fact that uh, the uh, Liberal government uh, had previously uh, put the kibosh on uh, Northern Gateway and Energy East. Um, and we're, um, we're struggling with, uh, with Trans Mountain, although that uh, should be going ahead. So the, the impact on Canada is, is very negative. Interestingly enough, there's also a negative impact on the United States in terms of union jobs and economic growth. But proportionately, of course, it won't be uh, as significant. In any event, uh, you know, the decision uh, to cancel uh, Keystone XL uh, ignored all these harmful economic uh, uh, matters. It was pure political symbolism, you know, catering to the Engels, the Hollywood airheads and the far left squad who support uh, the uh, the president needed to, to win his party's nomination. All right, well, that's uh, some fairly strong language. Obviously, in Premier uh, Kenny, he is actually calling for sanctions. Would that be advisable, in your opinion? Uh, regrettably, I don't think uh, that would be the way to go. I mean, we have uh, our largest trading relationship in the world with the United States. It's about... 75% of our, our total trade. And I don't think we want to start with a, with a fight. Now, 
you know, he delivered the first blow, but um, it was a campaign province, promise. It couldn't uh, uh, have been a surprise uh, to the government. And I think we have uh, a lot of huge issues that we don't want to jeopardize. Uh, what, it, what it means is that the prime minister should go back to the drawing board and revisit his decision on uh, supporting other pipelines. I mean, we, we, uh, we need access to tidewater to sell our resources uh, to overseas markets. And uh, Trans Mountain is, is one thing, but we, you know, we should be uh, doubling and tripling up that. It, it uh, really is extraordinary. We, uh, you know, as I said, we have these immense resources, no other energy-rich country in the world would want to see those resources uh, stranded, uh, but we're apparently prepared to do that, and uh, we're doing it um, even though uh, some of the oil is, is being transported by, by truck or by train, which is much riskier environmentally. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, there's one other thing, if I could quickly mention it, and that is that if we were to export more oil uh, to Asia, they would be using less coal. And the net result of that would be a reduction in global greenhouse gas emissions. So we would be enhancing the environment if we would only get on with uh, building those pipelines and exporting our energy to, uh, to Asia. All right. I want to move off the environmental question, if we could, because that's a certainly part of the equation here when it comes to the cancellation of the Keystone XL. The other part of the equation, of course, is our relationship with this new administration and the U.S. Uh, in general. Uh, again, back to Premier Kenny. He said yesterday, quote, this is not how you treat a friend. So what, if anything, Joe, do you think that this move by the Biden administration on day one what does this mean for Canada-U.S. relations moving forward? Uh, are we off on the wrong foot? Well, I would say that uh, th this wasn't an act of hostility, although it did cause harm. It was really an act of indifference. Uh, he was going to stop this. He has his uh, green lobby group to, to take care of uh, the, uh, the far left part of the Democratic uh, Party, and uh, they would have uh, reacted very negatively had he not done that. Uh, the, I don't think he has hostility to, to Canada, um, and I think we have to protect our interests and not be naive about it, uh, because People generally didn't like the former president, and they they seem to be happy with uh, uh, you know with a Democrat coming in as president. We we mustn't be naive about the inherent protectionism uh, that's uh, part of the uh, political ethos right now, and the fact that the Democrats tend to be more protectionist than the Republicans. I mean, I wrote a piece and said, be, you know, be careful what you wish for uh, when when you want them, uh, when you think things are going to be uh, that much uh, better. They're certainly going to be calmer. Uh, the personal relationship between uh, the two leaders will, will be better. Uh, but will it actually enhance Canadian national self-interest and, and our economy? That we're, we're going to find out. It's going to be less uncertain. Uh, less uh, less tumultuous, but uh, it, it isn't necessarily 
uh, going to be uh, going to be better. And we have to protect our interests and you know look for for other trading partners. But we have a, a very strong and deep and an overall very positive relationship with the United States, and we have to foster that. Yeah, okay. Having said that, just finally, uh, Joe Biden is expected to make his uh, first phone call uh, here to Canada to Prime Minister Trudeau uh, tomorrow. That's seen as largely uh, ceremonial. Certainly there'll be uh, pleasantries, but do you expect the Prime Minister to uh, bring up Keystone, or is that uh, already in the rearview mirror? Well, I think effectively it's in the review in the rearview mirror, but he's going to have to bring it up uh, because people are expecting him to do that, and certainly in the West they they would feel outraged if he didn't. Uh, I think it's basically a pro forma. I mean, there's no chance of him changing the president's mind at this point. There are other important issues particularly the relationship with China and getting uh, the two Michaels back, uh, you know, and they've been in prison for, uh, for a very long time under extremely harsh uh, conditions. And uh, they're in jail because we honored an extradition treaty with the United States. So we're entitled to ask the U.S. Uh, for help in this regard. And I'm sure that will be one of the other issues that the uh, prime minister will raise with the president. Without a doubt. Joe, appreciate the time with us this afternoon. Thanks so much for coming on. Great. Happy to chat with you. Bye. All right. Joe Oliver is the former Minister of Natural Resources and Minister of Finance with the Harper government. The CMHC, the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, is out this afternoon with a dire warning when it comes to a possible COVID economic recovery in the price of your home, housing prices. For more on this, we're joined now by our personal finance expert, Rabina ahmed Hawk joins us here on Global News Radio. Rabina, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing well. How are you, Jeff? I'm okay, thanks. Uh, before we get to the uh, fallout uh, here and the uh, concerns, the CMHC, they're warning about a W-shaped recovery. Well, what exactly is a W-shaped recovery? Well, a W-shaped recovery is when the economy is rebounding from a recession and then it falls back into slower economic times, so back into a recession, and then rebounds again and then normalizes. So that's kind of what's sort of happening with COVID-19. And really, it's artificial because it's being caused by these lockdowns that are happening across the country. They're almost forcing these recessionary kind of conditions. And um, they're saying that this is really bad for the economy. Uh, uh, when it comes to housing, um, this this V, v uh, this W-shaped recovery, really, you know, a U-shape is what we're normally used to, where the 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 economy gets slower, if we fall into a recession, then we slowly get back up, and then we normalize after that. All right, so it's kind of like uh, you know, goes up, goes down, goes up, goes down, and this is all because of these lockdown measures, not only here in Ontario but uh, in other places across the country, where you're uh, artificially uh, restricting economic uh, activity. And that's something that's just not good overall. Yeah, I mean, we know that businesses are trying their best to continue to pivot whenever the government makes announcements about how they can actually do business, whether it's curbside pickup or only on the patio or 10 people inside. You know, it's confusing even for someone who doesn't run a business to know, well, what exactly is open or closed? Now that we're in lockdown, we know that everything is closed. But there was a gray period there where, you know, I was constantly trying to figure out, well, how many people can go into this place? And do I have to make a reservation before I get there? Or how is it all going to work 
And that is really causing a lot of economic distress, um, not just on businesses, but on the people that work there. Um, it's also stopping people from spending their money. And that's, of course, slowing the economy down because people are not just out there how we normally do spending money uh, in, 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 in our communities. Right, because uh, every day that a business is closed or somebody can't uh, go to work or they're not working is lost revenue, is lost wages that you're just not going to get back. Yeah, and this whole idea that, you know, there's been a lot of reports about how much uh, pent-up savings we have, which is true. Uh, Canadians who have been able to work throughout the pandemic have been able to save more. But it's not like we're going to unleash this money the day we get back to our new normal. Uh, I'm not going to go back to the summer and take a holiday. I'm not going to go back in time and have dinner with friends, uh, you know, in the fall. That just That's money that's just never going to get spent. Yeah, maybe the next holiday I go on because we haven't been on one for, for a while or this, this speaking to for, really for everybody, we might spend a little bit extra money because we have some saved up and we might feel like we want to treat ourselves. But generally speaking, you're not going to spend, you know, twice as much or three times as much to make up for all the money you didn't spend before. So that money just becomes savings. I mean, in some ways that's good because a lot of us didn't have savings and also to pay down debt if, if you have any. All right. So this W-shaped recovery, uh, how is this going to affect uh, housing prices? Uh, let's drill down on this because this is the investment uh, for most people will be obviously the biggest one they, they ever make is their home. Yeah, so these were comments that were made by Nadine LeBlanc, uh, who is the CMHC's uh, chief risk officer. And they do modeling, um, you know, looking ahead to the year to see, uh, depending on what they uh, put in, you know, what would a W-shaped recovery look like for the housing market? What would a U-shaped recovery look like for the housing market? And she said in this media briefing that a W-shaped recovery could result in uh, home prices, on average, dropping by 50% in Canada and unemployment peaking at 25%. Now, obviously, that's pretty doomsday. I mean, anyone listening right now thinking, oh, my goodness, like if your house is worth $800,000, is it going to be worth $400,000? Right. I think she really is. I mean, these are just models. They're not forecasts. So it's really about, you know, just like we all do, we put in worst case scenario, best case scenario. It's kind of uh, like the really COVID modeling we've seen over the uh, <laughs> last few months, right? They give us the very worst case uh, scenario, and we're hoping we don't get there. Yes, fair point, fair yeah. point. We, uh, we always think, weren't we supposed to be in the, the depths of hell at this point and we seem to be not in the depths but still very much a serious situation but yes you're right I mean a lot of time modeling can scare you into thinking something's coming when it's not so I think we should take that with that same kind of attitude it's more about you know CMHC likes to look at risk they obviously insure mortgages so they want to make sure that what they're insuring um, is a good product and so they're looking at you know what a w-shaped recovery would be which we just talked about u-shaped they're saying would be slightly better. Uh, home prices could fall by about 32% with the worst case scenario unemployment being at 24%. But again, this is just modeling and this is worst case scenario. And this is when you take away government supports. So if government supports remain, like so the, the recovery benefits and if there needs to be another iteration of that, um, this would not be the situation that we are in because people would be able to continue to pay their bills um, and not um, you know, have to sell their home in haste. Does this all run kind of counter to what we've been experiencing when it comes to the housing market, though, Rabina? I mean, we've had real estate experts here on the program, you know, on and off over the last six, seven, eight months, and we've all marveled at just how robust the housing market has been. To everybody's surprise, really, with the pandemic ongoing. 
Yeah, so real estate has surprised everybody during the pandemic. I think we all thought it was going to grind to a halt because nobody wanted to buy anything. But the, 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 the fact is, is that interest rates are so low that shopping for a home becomes more and more possible for people when money is cheap. And that has remained, uh, you know, they cut interest rates three times right when the global pandemic was declared. Uh, just yesterday, the Bank of Canada again announced that they're going to keep rates at 0.25%. There was actually an indication they may cut even more. Uh, because they're worried about the economy slowing down. But with vaccines now becoming available slowly, uh, there is more optimism that our, 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 um, our economy is going to grow this year by about 4%. And so that's keeping them uh, comfortable at, you know, that's still ultra low 0.25%. But you're right, Jeff. I mean, the real estate, the, the thing with Canada is, is that we were economically more sound going into the pandemic, um, even though we had things like record amounts of debt and, you know, a lot of times... Uh, we were talking about housing bubbles in big cities like Vancouver and Toronto, um, but there is still a lot of um, places in, in Canada where they have not seen real estate prices, prices rise in the same way, and now those are ticking up, and that's why, uh, and one of the reasons is those very low interest rates that people can borrow money on. All right, just finally, for those that hear, oh, my uh, house value, the price of my house could drop by 50%. Uh, percent. What is your advice to homeowners? Buckle up and hold on tight. Is there anything else uh, you can say to uh, nervous homeowners that are listening? I mean, the, the, the obvious answer is, is that if your home falls by 50%, every home in the area falls by 50%. So that will not uh, stop you from being able to sell it and buy a different home because all values will fall at that point. Um, I mean, if you're close to retirement and you're thinking of using your, the value of your home to, to fund your retirement, this may be a more serious situation. You may want to think about selling, but I would never recommend that somebody sell just because of one modeling uh, that the CMHC came up with, because everything is indicating that we are going to be fine after the pandemic um, ends and that there is a lot of room for us as an economy to grow. And as soon as jobs come back, people will start spending again, and that will help keep real estate prices strong as well. And are we all awaiting that day? Uh, Rabina, thank you so much. Appreciate it as always. Thanks, Jeff. There's our personal finance expert, Rabina Ahmed-Hawk, with us this afternoon. Time now for your weekly wellness check. Here's our wellness expert, Laura DeSanctis. She joins us now on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Good afternoon, Laura. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. Okay, there's a new report that links your specialty, gut health, with severe cases of COVID. What's it saying? Yeah, they're saying that poor gut health could be associated with really more severe COVID-19 cases, but there's more research and evidence that needs to be done. But apparently, there's a direct link between patients that have really severe cases of COVID-19 and gut symptoms like diarrhea and leaky gut. So that's very interesting to see. Yeah, and is that typical of uh, not only this virus, but uh, maybe uh, many ailments of the body? Does the, the gut react uh, sometimes negatively, uh, you know, when the body's maybe under attack from a virus? Definitely. I think um, when we talk about leaky gut, it's a term that's thrown around a lot, but what happens is there's a lot of inflammation in the body, so stress can do it. If we have an autoimmune disease like Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis or even food sensitivities, that all can create stress on the body. All right, here's my question about gut and gut health, uh, and this is a bit of a gut check, if you will, but how do I know when my gut health is not great? Is it just that I might have a bit of a uh, rumbly-tumbly, uh, an upset stomach, or is it more? Um, well, with, 
Leaky gut, a lot of the symptoms are gas and bloating, which a lot of people don't want to really talk about or admit to, but it's something that we all experience. But having severe gas and bloating on the daily and even migraine headaches, that's a severe warning sign that you have leaky gut or that something's off with your uh, bacteria and your digestive system and then food sensitivity. So where your body doesn't really react well to a lot of foods or certain foods, that's also a symptom of digestive upset or a symptom of leaky gut. IBS for sure, and even um, ADHD. So leaky gut can affect the way your brain is working. So if you have ADHD or even brain fog, that's a common symptom of leaky gut. Okay, because you're all about the TMI, the too much information, I'm going to ask this because I'm sure there's a lot of people wanting to know uh, when you say excessive flatulence, like uh, how much is too much? And I mean that seriously. <laughs> it's a good question, though. I mean, um, people will ask me, they'll send me a, a DM about it, but I'm glad we're addressing it, this on the radio. I mean, after you're eating, if you notice, like right after you're eating, you're constantly feeling bloated or gassy or even in the middle of your meal, um, having that distension, it could be a leaky gut. You could be uh, sensitive to a lot of different foods. Um, so I think if you're experiencing that every day, especially during or after a meal, that's a, that's a big symptom and sign of leaky gut. Okay, because flatulence is obviously a, a body's natural reaction, right? 100%. It, it's a normal thing to do, but um, if we're eating too quickly, if we're eating foods that we're very sensitive to, and even chewing gum and getting that trapped air and gas can lead to excessive flatulence. All right, so having said that, how do we maintain our gut health? Uh, do you have a few strategies you could pass our way to make sure that our gut's as healthy as it can be? Yep, 100%. So some people aren't going to like me, but it comes back down to the basics. And we talk about this a lot on the show when I'm on. It's really removing the garbage out of your diet. So getting rid of those inflammatory foods, the sugars, the processed foods, the dairy, the gluten, the alcohol. Like eliminate those from your diet as much as possible because you will help heal. You can heal your gut um, and definitely you'll see the symptoms um, slowly winding down if you remove inflammatory food. So getting that garbage out of your diet, number one. And number two, I would say having collagen. So you can have the collagen powder in your smoothie and or drink, drinking the bone broth every day because that's something that can help heal your gut lining. Okay. What about uh, probiotics, prebiotics, uh, antibiotics? Uh, I, I get confused uh, with them all, but uh, should you be taking uh, you know, pro or prebiotics? Yeah, that would be my third thing I would suggest. So first, removing all the junk out of your diet, and then you want to add things into your diet. So having the probiotics, the soil-based organism, that's the number one supplement you should be taking, a probiotic. And then you want to add in the collagen protein, and you can also add in herbal teas with paldarco, cinnamon, and astragalus. Um, these are herbs that can really help heal the gut. So for sure, you want to load up on your probiotics, but you want to make sure you're removing the junk out of your diet first. All right. Is that something you should take, uh, a pre- or probiotic, as a supplement, or is it just something that uh, we see this all the time on labeling, particularly with yogurts uh, and such, we should just kind of get it with our uh, food intake? Um, as a nutritionist, I don't think you get enough probiotic from a yogurt, so you'd want to definitely take that supplement on an empty stomach, either first thing in the morning or at night, so definitely supplement with the probiotic. All right. And finally, I'm going to ask you this because I've been through this myself. When you clean your eating up, uh, you clean your diet up. I, I sometimes have had, and again, this is TMI, but, you know, an adverse reaction, at least for the first few days or, or week, because my body's going like, why are you feeding me all these vegetables? I, I, I'm not used to this. I don't know how to deal with this. 
Yeah, that's a normal thing. I think um, some people will find headaches if they're eliminating caffeine or they're constantly feeling like they're craving the sugar because they've eliminated that out of your diet. So you want to try to find workarounds, um, even to trick your brain. So if you're taking something out, try to add something else in that's a healthier option. So, And also I find a lot of people, when they eliminate certain food groups from their diet, they find they're hungrier. So making sure that you're having like those cooked veggies, um, even making like one-pot meals, veggies, meat, and rice, that's ideal for helping heal leaky gut, but also to fuel you. And then finding fruits and, and veggies that you like, easy to digest fruits like pears, blueberries, applesauce, because that can also help crave, or sorry, um, that can also help with combating. Yeah, say. kind of curving the cravings? Yeah, curbing those sugar cravings. But also I find that people feel more satiated and full once they're eating regularly and they know the foods that they want to eat. So sticking to those cooked veggies, having grass-fed beef, organic chicken, turkey, egg yolks, and then having those easy-to-digest fruits, have those readily available so you don't feel like you're constantly reaching for the processed foods, those chips, the chocolates, the candy bars. Yeah, just finally, Laura, do you think that people kind of underestimate their gut health or just don't even pay attention to it? Uh, I mean, we talk all the time about uh, physical health, going to the gym, you know, lifting weights, cardiovascular health, that sort of thing. But we don't often talk, or at least it's not talked about uh, as much, uh, your gut health. Yeah, we don't. I think so many of us focus on the physical, but really, I mean, when we think about our nutrition and our gut health, we're eating at least two to three times a day at a minimum. So our gut does a lot of things for us, especially our intestines. It's it's really the barrier between your intestines and your bloodstream to making sure that whatever you digest doesn't get doesn't get damaged. So really paying attention to what we're eating, how often we're eating. I always like to encourage my clients to do that because we eat more often in a day than we work out. I would hope so. So really paying attention to that and taking care of your body on the inside and outside is, is key. Oh, trust me, I'm eating more than I'm working out. I know that for sure. Uh, Laura, great great chat as always. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, our weekly wellness check with Laura DeSanctis. You can find her on Instagram at gowithyourgut.com.